Gave us COVID. Yeah, she finally got me. Ugh. Let's see how this fucking goes. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. Yum. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry for my voice. I have COVID. So, all right. So we're in season six, episode two, Debt. 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 Okay, opening scene, an older woman who is the wife of the super walks officers up to an apartment where a baby is crying. She says that she's had tons of kids and grandkids and knows when something isn't right because this baby has been fucking screaming all day. She is giving Edith from All in the Family. Yep, there you go. The lady says that this baby belongs to Mrs. Wu and she's been living there for a few years and she's usually really quiet. The cop knocks on the door, but no one answers. They hear a movement and the super lady gives them a key and they get into the apartment. They look around and find a little girl in the closet holding a baby that's crying. Mm. And this is like a two-year-old, three-year-old girl right? Yeah, she's a toddler or pre-K herself, yeah. So obviously now it's a fucking crime scene. Oh. What? So the cops that the super brings up that eat it. The female cop is Officer Ramirez until season nine. She's her like four times over multiple episodes. But then as it goes... SVU Amnesia, and she's Linda Bagley. Linda Bagley. Linda Bagley. A couple of times she plays her later. It's just funny when somebody is a reoccurring character, and then they're like, we're going to wait like three seasons, and we're going to bring you back as somebody else. Nobody's going to notice. Kind of like Novak, but I suppose Novak was only on one episode. Mm-hmm. Who is she? Who's Linda Bagley? She's like a lawyer or like... Uh, I don't know. She She's in like two episodes later on. Oh, Benson, Stabler, and Huang show up to the crime scene. One of the officers tells Stabler that the little girl, Hannah, only speaks Chinese and there's no sign of the mom. So Huang speaks to Hannah and she asks them to please find her mom. She tells Huang that her mom told her to give the baby a bottle when the hand on the clock points to numbers circled in red every three hours. And you can see the clock and it's like, you know, 12, 3, whatever. Mm -hmm. Then she left and locked the door. Hannah says she used up all the milk, then had to give the baby Susie crackers because she kept crying, which of course isn't going to work, but she's fucking toddler she doesn't know yeah benson has huang ask hannah how long their mom has been gone and hannah just says it's been a really really long time mm-hmm. stabler looks at all the empty formula containers and because he's a fucking dad and knows shit about formula he mm-hmm. thinks the mom has been gone about a week the formula math comes naturally to him mm-hmm. it's like benson when she's like oh my god this is a state-of-the-line unique shoe only found on fucking Lobla street because i'm a woman and i know all that and think god i'm on the job yeah right he's like my dad's skills have really yeah this particular shade of lipstick is a cherry red that was manufactured between 1994 and 1996 by l'oreal all women know that (laughs) all women know that it smells like lavender and fucking bergamot Bergamot. (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay theme song so now we're back at the precinct stabler goes over case deets with Kragen. stabler says that the mother is jiao wu she's an undocumented immigrant no criminal record no husband or partner they check jails and hospitals and they haven't found her Kragen asks if acs knows the family but stabler says they don't and it's going to take a minute to find a chinese foster home Kragen thinks jiao has been planning on being gone for a while since there's so much formula in the house and she taught little hannah how to feed the baby stabler thinks jiao is shacking up with the boyfriend they go right to that shacking up i mean it makes they go right to she doesn't give a shit about her kids yeah or i guess i mean it is kind of shitty i mean there's a little occam's razor thing but still it's like let's not make that assumption maybe she's dead you know i mean if the the mom 
taught the toddler how to feed the baby, they assume she's coming back. And they're, well, I don't yeah. know. Who knows? She doesn't you know? have somebody to watch her kid while she works to try to, you know what I mean? She's like, I don't know. I just don't like how when they make assumptions. But then Sabre's like, well, she's got a week of formula. So she stocked up so she could hang out with her boyfriend. Okay. So now we're on the other side of the glass that's not Craigan's office. So we're not going to do that. All right. If you had a thing, go ahead and do it. But we're no, not. No, I I have one later. <laughs> I have one later. I always have one just in case. Now. Yeah, there's not. I mean, it's episode two. We have yet to be on the proper side of the glass that is in Craigan's office. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. For someone who is like, what? <laughs> what? Wants the world to be in complete anarchy. You're like, there's a lot of rules when it comes to the other side of the glass. <laughs> Huang helps Benson interview Hannah. Hannah says her mom went to meet a man, but Hannah doesn't know who he is. Hannah says that when mom goes out, they're usually babysat by their aunt Lee Mei or Miss Penny, who works at the market next door. So these guys go over to Chen's market to talk to Miss Penny. Penny comes back in a couple seasons as, not to confuse you, Mrs. Wu. Not this episode's Miss Wu. A different Miss Wu. Jeremy just doesn't know any other Chinese surnames. But then she's back as a reoccurring character, DNA tech Susan Chung. So this is just our first meeting. Okay. Penny says that Zhao has a sister, but she doesn't know where she is. They, of course, asked her about her love life. And Penny said Zhao was dating a bit, but would never have left her kids home alone. And definitely not for that guy. Okay. Like, I'm sorry, who? Do tell. She'd been seeing this rich white guy she met through a dating service, and Penny had warned her to be careful because a lot of creeps like Asian women. The service is called Golden Happiness, so is obviously catering straight to those creeps. Mm -hmm. Benson and Stabler meet with the owner of Golden Happiness. He calls it an introduction service for undocumented Asian women and says that it's legal. White American dudes pay him $8,000 to find them an Asian wife. And he only checks their credit. No background check or anything else. Yeah. Stabler points out that the guys could be fucking psychopaths, but the owner doesn't care. Benson asks who Zhao ended up with. It's Howard Kendall, a hot shot Wall Street guy. I love when the term hot shot is used. <laughs> like, it's a dying art form of a light jab. Like, all right, hot shot. <laughs> That's And that's also one of those things that white people say. I was going to say, it's like, <laughs> that's hey there, buddy. Watch it, hotshot. Just a second there, hotshot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they got to go to this hotshot's Wall Street's job. <laughs> so they trot on over to McMaster, Kennedy, and Behringer. It's fucking Wall Street place. They find out that Kendall has a history of domestic violence, DWI, and resisting arrest. They're going over all of this when they're walking in, and they see this dopey-ass open mouth guy with a mail cart. Initially saying that felt personal when I first was like, oh, look at this fucking dopey ass, whatever. But then I saw his credits, so I didn't feel really bad because he's a really versatile actor. He plays attorneys and powerful dudes like all the time. Oh, okay. So it's okay that I said that. He's acting and he's doing he's, a good job. He's playing this guy. He can do anything as long as it's in New York. <laughs> because his accent he just plays like a really heavy new york he's like, duh, can I help you? And they're like, we're looking for Howard Kendall. He is Howard Kendall. Uh-oh, somebody's been doing some hillbilly hand fishing. <laughs> Noodles. 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 <laughs> that was uh, me making a few jumps to not have to say catfishing. <laughs> You're like, I get it. I know that was the joke. 
Anyway, this guy, this guy's catfishing this lady. He's not a high-powered Wall Street guy. He's a mail cart dude. Benny and Stabes go to talk to him in the mail room. Kendall says he knows Zhao. They went out a few times. They broke up because she's a lying bitch. Okay, this guy who is also is a, a lying, lying bitch. bitch. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. She told him she was 25 instead of telling him she's in her 30s with two kids. And we're all rolling our eyes. Uh-huh. He says he still would have married her, but she broke up with him last week because he told her that he was a mail clerk. Like she's being petty. Right. She owes me $3,000 for the wedding dress. But he admits that they had an argument and he did shove her. Mm-hmm. He doesn't realize that he's talking to SVU, by the way. He's like, but I didn't shove her so hard she had to call you. Stabler tells him that actually... She's missing. Kendall says she's probably just out scamming another guy. Zhao called Kendall the day after the breakup so she could get her purse that she left at his place. He told her to come get it at his work, but she never showed up. And he plops it out of a drawer. Good thing Benny's there. Yeah. So that she can be of womanly use. The bag is a freaking Birkin, which is worth at least 10 Gs, she says. Don't get me started on Hermes and Birkins. Exclusive, honey. I thought a Birkin was like a, but it's Merkin. <laughs> Never mind. I'm just <laughs> getting it now. A, a Merkin is a, a wig for your genitals. A cube wig. Yeah, no, a Birkin is a specific line of bag made by Hermes. I mean, there you can come I'm by so them. I'm so glad that this this was like your part because I was <laughs> forgot I forgot the episode and I would have been like Hermes, like fucking <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Hermes. Well, I think I think Benson said Hermes or. Hermes or something something where I was like "Mm -mm, but we're just gonna go buy it because she knows now but they're basically an investment John came to me like a month ago and he goes do you know that people are buying Birkins and not using them and they increase in value like they gain like an insane amount of value I'm like yeah I do know that I watch housewives and Birkins are specifically this brand yeah Birkins are yeah it's not a style like there can't be another company that does a Birkin no. Mm-mm. But yeah, Birkins, the beanie babies of designer uh, <laughs> handbags. The, the princess die bear of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Benny's like, how the fuck does this bitch have a Birkin? He says, oh, it's fake. She made it at work, which he says is this sweatshop in Chinatown. And the way he said it was like he was proud of her, which I liked. But then I remembered that he pushed her and he was a piece of shit. But um, mm-hmm. Stabler wants to get to the counterfeit specialist to look at it. So cut to the counterfeit precinct. Benson Stabes are talking to a specialist. He tells them that the leather looks good, but those bags are hand stitched. And this one is definitely a fake because he can see the um, machine stitching. Mm-hmm. He can't tell them exactly who made it, though. He says they haven't been focusing on sweatshops since 9-11 because of Al-Qaeda selling counterfeit DVDs and other products to fund their attacks, which I was like, shit. Apparently the DVD stuff was a huge deal with Al-Qaeda. I don't know. He tells them anything can be counterfeit and to check out Canal Street. So now we're at Canal Street. Benson is dressed in head-to-toe pink, looking amazing, and it's like perfect timing because mm-hmm. Barbie just came out 20-some years later. Perfect timing. 20, 19 She's years wearing later, like yeah. a I don't 100% remember, but I'm picturing a pink tweed. And if that's the case, then it's giving Chanel. Yeah, she was wearing slacks. It was like a pink business suit. Okay. Okay. She's pretending to buy bags and she wants something super special. Not the bullshit that everyone has like Kate Spade and Coach. Benson asked, do you guys have Hermes? And the guy was like, yeah, I do. And opens a drawer 
and she picks one out. She's like, ooh, these are great. Dude charges her $300 and she's like, ah, I'll take it. Then she turns around and calls her back up into her little collar mic. But it's actually like a fucking like mic mm-hmm. stand and standing next to her because that's all she can fucking do in this episode. <laughs> She like has a <laughs> megaphone. She's like, back. Oh, the, the amount of ear coils in this fucking episode. How people did anything ever. I don't know. Okay. I know. Hilarious. The seller is arrested by Stabler and that fraud investigator guy, he is arresting him for trademark infringement. And then this guy's like, I didn't know they were fake. And says he just got a good deal on some real bags. Mm-hmm. Stabler tells him he'll get a deal on his sentence if he tells them where the bags are made. So he immediately tells them. Cut to a sweatshop. It's being raided. Benny Stabes and the investigator guy, cops and translating cops bust in. They tell the workers they're not from immigration and that they only are there to help look for Zhao. One woman speaks up and tells him that Zhao hasn't been to work in a week. Benson asks her why, and the woman says she doesn't know, but that Zhao has been super upset. Stabler asks where Zhao's sister is, and the woman is kind of hesitant to talk, but Stabler tells her that Zhao is missing and they just want to talk to her sister. The woman tells them that the sister is Li Mei Wu. She works at a laundromat. Over at the laundry service, Benny and Stabes are walking and talking with the owner. Fucking James Hong. Mm -hmm. He's been acting since 1954. He has more credits than anyone I've legit seen. I spent fucking 30 minutes going through his shit because it was just so interesting. Remember when the grape guy and I was like, the guy, the director, he looked like Richard Kind from fucking Big Mouth and whatever, but it's not him. Andrew! He like, you know, but I'm like, oh, but it's not him. But I talked about his IMDb for 45 Mm -hmm. minutes. So Richard Kind's IMDb is at 278 credits. Mm -hmm. James Hong fucking move. He's got 454 credits with two unreleased projects happening. This fucking guy works more than any actor I've ever seen. And you know him from absolutely everything. Every, absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. I feel like his credits are too much to even go into. He's done a lot of voiceover work too, right? He does. Yeah. Yeah. He does a ton of voiceover stuff. Like Kung Fu Panda and shit was like one of the big kid movies that I can think of off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I will say a recent one that he's in is Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is fucking incredible. Yeah, he's the grandpa or the dad Mm -hmm. or whatever. I'm just mentioning one so you can see his face if you haven't watched the episode and you're listening. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he's on the screen for three seconds. (laughs) This is what I... I I was off. Uh, I don't call him the bad guy yet, but... I'm like, he's on the screen for three seconds. He'll definitely be back. There's no way this guy rolls out of bed for less than a big ass roll. <laughs> but I think he's kind of just like, yeah, I'll take I'll take whatever job. I work all the fucking time. Yeah. You know my face. So he owns the laundromat. He shows them to Lee Mei Wu. She has 99 credits, but most importantly is the fucking voice of Mulan. <gasps> she is? She's the voice of Mulan. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know who else has a voice in- I was going to say, so, and she's working with Huang in this episode. B.D. Wong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Detectives tell Lee May about Susie and Hannah being found in the apartment and that now they're in foster care. They also tell her that her sister's been gone for about a week and asks if the kids get left alone a lot. Lee May said the kids get left with a woman who works nights at a factory, so it's weird that they were alone. She then admits that the last time she spoke to her sister was two weeks ago. They had a fight because Zhao wanted to borrow money from Li Mei for her wedding to Kendall. Zhao also had taught her daughter Hannah to not talk to the police because she's afraid of immigration. So Li Mei asks to see her niece Hannah because she thinks she'll talk to her. At the precinct, 
Hannah's talking to her Aunt Lee May now. Mm -hmm. Hannah's adorably nose to nose with her auntie talking to her. Mm -hmm. So then Lee May translates to the detectives and says that Hannah doesn't know anything and just asks if she can take the kids home. Huang fucking storms into the room because Mm -hmm. he was around the corner listening and tells Benny and Stabes that Lee May is lying. Right when she said, oh, Hannah doesn't know anything. I was like, but how would they know? Yeah. Because they got Huang fucking listening. I don't know why they had to. What a bizarre moment to have. Yeah. But anyway, he's like, ha ha, we speak the same language. Hannah actually had told her aunt that her mom went to go give the man money for their big sister. Lee Mei says the older child is named Ping, but she doesn't want to say anything else out of fear that Ping and Zhao will be killed. Mm. Still in the precinct, they're in a scary interrogation room now. Stabler is squat hovering over Lee Mei, telling her not to be afraid. (laughs) But he's doing it in the way that he gets intense with anybody that he's interrogating. Right before he flips the table. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's doing the thing where he's squatting and his elbows are bent out really hard and they're on his knees. And he's like, don't be afraid, Lee Mei. Weirdly, she's still scared. His tie is like 100% vertical to the fucking floor. (laughs) Yeah. So she's like, well, I'm still scared because you're fucking scary. But sure. And he convinces her to... To confide in him. And she's like, listen, I'll only trust you if you can tell me about how much formula would somebody leave a child. <laughs> You're like, I have to trust you. You're a dad. <laughs> and then he does the beautiful mind. <laughs> and he writes down, he's like, how do you like them apples? And holds it up like there's a pane of glass. And she's like, what are you doing? Lee Mei says that Ping, who's 15, was a baby when Zhao and her husband came to the U.S., but they couldn't bring the baby with them on the boat. The family mm. saved for Ping to be able to be brought to the U.S., but Zhao's husband took the money and ran off. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. They only say that like one time and this should... Right. He ran off and they're like, oh, okay, bye. Let's not mention him again. But is she with a boyfriend? Mm. Right. It's like she left the kids for a week. I'm not saying that's cool, but he left them forever. So, (laughs) yeah, so dad ran off. Lee May doesn't know if Ping actually made it to the U.S. She calls these traffickers snakeheads and says they charge $50,000 and they own you until it gets paid off. Stabler asks for the names of the people that have Ping and or Zhao. When she can't tell him, he pushes, but she insists she doesn't know and is distraught saying these dudes kill people like it's fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. He tells her Zhao took a huge risk and sits down because he's like, maybe I should fucking calm down a little bit. Stop being afraid. (laughs) But he sits down and Lee May quietly asks, do you have children, Mr. Stabler? Oh my God. All systems activate. (laughs) (laughs) Stabler fucking transformer transforms into... Semi truck super dad bot. <laughs> Did you fucking see the camera went like right to his face and he, opened, he like lifted his head up slowly and we were up. I was like, Jesus Christ, Dadimus Prime. <laughs> yeah, I've I've got four. I've got four kids. How does Optimus Prime talk? Yeah, I can't do it that low. Yeah, I've got four. She shakes off how weird that entire thing was. <laughs> He's busted through the whole precinct. I mean, he's a giant semi-truck robot dad. So his pants turn into a little loincloth and everything is how much he ripped through it. She's like, can you turn your hands back into hands and not 18 wheels? (laughs) His shorts are those fucking denim never nude ones that the Hulk wears. (laughs) There are dozens of us. 
She asks Stabler, then wouldn't you deal with murderers to get your baby back? Like, stop fucking judging her for trying to work some shit out with these gangsters, you know, Mm -hmm. these fucking snakeheads. She's like, wouldn't you deal with these guys to get your baby back? And he takes a long pause and says, which one? Just kidding. (laughs) He was like, yeah, I would. He's like, not Kathleen. She's a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. On the other side of the glass in Craigan's mid-century modern Palm Springs rental, Huang, Benny, and Craigan are sitting around the pool drinking Aperol spritzes and reapplying sunscreen. They're in the desert for crying out loud. Oh my God, are they at Trixie Motel? Oh, they should be. Benny speculates that maybe the snakeheads killed Zhao, but Huang makes a point and says if she's dead, they never get the rest of their money from her debt. Craigan thinks she got stashed in a sweatshop to work off the rest. They're not going to talk to police, so Huang says he's going to ask around in Chinatown. Mm. Stabler saunters in wearing a whisper of a Speedo because remember they're in Palm Springs. (laughs) He's got like the goggle tan lights. (laughs) This is his Speedo. (laughs) That's what he's wearing. (laughs) He says, no way, dude. They're going to make you for a cop because they all want to go undercover because that's the fun part. Stabler's Mm. idea is to use Lee May. He's going to pretend to be her boyfriend. It's time for some thundercover. (laughs) He doesn't, there's no way that Stabler can ever look like a boyfriend. He was born a husband. He was born 42. With like, a flat top. Yeah. He, fucking... he, he he doesn't date somebody. He's a husband. He's not a boyfriend. Cragen says, that's against policy. Since when did we care about policy? <laughs> it's also too late because Lee May overheard the convo and says, she's in, which means by law, Cragen can't say no. <laughs> like, why the fuck does that matter? Cragen can be like, fuck off. Cragen thinks he's going to tell this lady no, but she's like, fine, I'll fucking do it myself. All right. Uh-huh. Thanks for the yeah. idea. She isn't going to stop until she finds her fucking sister. And they're like, mm-hmm. we can't let her do that because that's dangerous. We're cops. We're going to do this thing that's against policy. Shh, everybody. Right. Shh. Benson asks Lee May to grab some coffee with her and they leave the room. Room. Stabler begs Cragen for permission to do this shit, and neither Cragen nor Huang like this idea. Not one bit. Mm-hmm. But Daddy gives in and says they can only collect background information, but if he sniffs trouble, the shit's getting shut down. And Huang kind of goofy smiles and shakes his head. He's foreshadowing that this shit is going to get not great. Dude, that fucking smirky shake your head thing. This isn't like the 90s ragtag group of hot, funky scientists from <laughs> Twister or like the, the other where one of them's got like Jack Black has a pet rat on his shoulder and he's really good on, on the computer or whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? Like always with those shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, it's like bow, 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 bow. <laughs> <laughs> that was a heroin needle. <laughs> Okay, so Stabler and Lee May go to the Buddhist temple. Lee May tells Stabler that Zhao goes to Mr. Zhang for advice. This dude was in a ton of supporting roles. He died in 2008, RIP. Lee May says hi to Mr. Zhang, and he immediately asks, who are you to Stabler? Stabler just says, I'm with her. He can't fucking be undercover. You're not good at it. You can see the outline of his undershirt gun holster. (laughs) His badge is just like... (laughs) He's shining his badge that's pinned to his lapel. It's like like Iron Man. It's just like in his chest, glowing. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Li Mei tells Zhang that she's not there to pray and tells him about the fight she and her sister Zhao had and that she wants to say sorry but Zhao isn't home and wants to know if he's seen her. He says some sassy remark about the quote company Li Mei keeps and Stabler says with his eyes like mm, okay I'm just a dad with four kids trying to help. That's all I'm <laughs> doing. Mr. Zhang speaks to her in Cantonese and she nods and leaves. Outside Stabler asks what he said. She says Mr. Zhang said Zhao came to visit him and asked him if it was safe to visit the INS detention center. Stabler asked who she wanted to visit, but Mr. Zhang told Li Mei that he didn't know, but she thinks it was Ping, and she was probably caught coming into the country. I'm confused because, like, Ping was a baby, right? So she hasn't seen her mom or dad since she was a baby, or has she on and off? They don't say, but I'm sure they had communication, because in situations like this, based on the information I got on my chaser... She was probably with family and stuff. She was with family, and they are also sending back a lot of money, and it's especially a lot of money for that region, and if they were being trafficked by the snakeheads... I'll tell you more about it later, but it's a certain region, which is pretty poor. Mm. And so they can make a lot more money in the U.S. It goes a lot further over there. Okay. So anyway, so yeah, she's at least getting like funded. Her life and her family are being funded by Zhao. Li Mei is panicking and thinking that Zhao went to visit Ping and INS found out she was undocumented and took her and deported her. Stabler tells her that they checked already and Zhao hasn't been deported and isn't in jail or in the hospital. She's freaking out and wants to go to the detention center. Stabler has an eye roll voice and tells her that they will go check it out after he drops her off. But Li Mei wants to go fucking now. Mm-hmm. Stabler tells her she's undocumented and he can protect her on the streets, but not from the feds. So she kind of reluctantly gets in the car. Now we're at Immigration and Customs Enforcement. An INS dude tells Benny and Stabes that Ping Wu was caught at JFK Airport getting off a flight from Jamaica. Stabler's like, um, I thought Chinese people were smuggling their, quote, cargo by container ships. The INS officer says that that's not true anymore since the Golden Venture ran aground in 1993. Ran underground? Ran into the ground. Um, A ground in that context means that the ship was touching the bottom and couldn't sail. Like it was too close to shore. Okay. The smugglers now bring people in through the Caribbean. Ping got caught because her fake papers were really, really bad. She didn't get deported. She went straight to detention and was processed right away. And her attorney, Roger Blake, filed an asylum claim. A pending asylum claim made her eligible for bond. And last week, she was bailed out. But not by her mom, Zhao. By someone named Winnie Chan. Who the fuck is that? I'm guessing someone nefarious. Hmm. Hmm. Benson Stabler go to speak with Roger Baker, the lawyer. So he was in Say Anything, Gattaca, Adestrada, like Bones, a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. To me, he looks like Skinny Mac from Always Sunny. I don't remember his face. I just remember he looks kind of young. Baker says he's the only one that will work for no cash up front on deportation cases. And I was like, "Mm, he's suspicious. Didn't even touch my radar. Yeah, I thought he was suspicious, but then I completely forgot about it. Mm -hmm. Because they don't talk about him. He doesn't show up at all. I was still back at the laundromat going, "Mm -mm -mm. I know you. So God, I didn't uh, think of the laundromat thing at all. Benson tells him that the address and the name Winnie gave him were fake. He says, "Mm, I guess I'm not getting paid and shrugs. Stabler points out that he doesn't seem surprised. He says that shit happens all the time. And then Benson asks him why he does it. He says that it's still in the United States and that all of our grandparents came from somewhere else. And he thinks, quote, these people are entitled to the same chance. Shut up. This, this is what makes you suspicious. I'm just a good guy. We're all we're all immigrants, right? Fuck off. 
he thought she was a good candidate for asylum. She had converted to Christianity and was persecuted for it in China. Plus, she is young. Stabler asks if Zhao called him, and he says Ping called him herself, since his name gets passed around a lot. Stabler asks him to give him a call if Ping contacts him. And this fucking dude will not. I wrote, he does this pro bono because of the kickbacks he gets. It's for sex slavery. That's what I fucking... That's what you wrote? Yeah. I forgot oh, about shit. that. God, it was good that day. And now I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, I'm a turtle. He's only like a slug. I'm dying. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, not for you to die. You're not allowed to do that. Back at the precinct, detectives are chatting with Lee Mei. They let her know about Ping being bailed out, and she's pissed that they're not currently looking for her at that moment. But they said there's nothing more they can do tonight. Stabler tells her that she's got the family court case tomorrow morning regarding Susie and Hannah at 9 a.m. So we got to get some rest. He wants Lee Mei to meet him at the courthouse and he'll make a recommendation for them to be released to her. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay, I'll be there. Next morning, we're in a busy hallway outside of family court. Lots of people, Kids are crying. It's 5 till 10. And this appointment was at 9 a.m. And Lime isn't there yet. Mm. Stabler's like, I think something's wrong. Just then the court officer pops out of the door. And he's so, he's a lot. He has one line and he's a lot. All parties on the matter of the woo children, step (laughs) forward. This guy is so fucking New York. He's actually a bagel and cream cheese with a clipboard. He's... He's he's, he's the, a bag with a schmear. He's the he's the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center in a white button down shirt and tie. No, no, he's he's more like you got to think of the like no. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that inaccurate? He's not the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. You're like no, he doesn't look like that. <laughs> no, I mean like he's like the greasy pizza or like the 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 Rockefe- Rockefeller cheese. Center tree is an iconic. New York. But that makes me think of like fancy New York. Okay, fine. He smells like pissed on brick and garbage. This is how New York this guy is. So another reason why I'm like, oh my God, this guy is New York as shit. His few credits are this court clerk a couple of times. Pizza guy number two in Kiss Me Guido. Mm-hmm. That word, of course, isn't for us because it's a working class slur. Uh, Jersey Shore stereotype. So it's the name of this thing. He's an EMT in The Sopranos. He also is credited in a couple other things as Jersey Guy and Thug Number One. That's so, why he can't be the Rockefeller tree. He's got to be a chopped cheese or like. Okay, fine. He's chop- a chopped cheese. <laughs> He's a loose piece of trash flying off the back of a garbage truck. Dude, he's that. He's he's fucking pizza rat. <laughs> he's okay. pizza rat, except he's got a job to do. So does that fucking rat, dude. <laughs> Benson's going to try and get the case moved while Stabler goes out to find Lee May. Back to the laundromat, Stabler's chatting to the boss again. And this is where I go, okay, he's obviously the head of the snakeheads. The head of the snakeheads. And then I was like, see what I did there? Because I thought I was really clever. I was incorrect. This guy's just trying to make an honest living running a fucking laundromat in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. So our laundromat owner tells Stabler that Lee Mei was at work the night before because she told him she needed overtime. She left at 5 a.m. to go get ready for court. The boss throws his hands up saying, hell if I know where she is then. That's the last I saw her. And Stabler grabs him. "Uh Uh-uh, honey. I got two women MIA and I've missed every soccer game any of my kids have ever played in. You don't want to piss me off today. (laughs) He's like, I don't even know if they play soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Guy's like, I literally met you the other day. He's like, yeah, well, it's guys like you that make me a bad dad. I'm a good dad. (laughs) The boss says he's scared that bad things are going to happen to him if he talks to the police. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, maybe he's not the bad guy. Okay, we're going to let that go. He tells Stabler that a kid named Tommy, a gangster wannabe, came in and saw Lee May last night to get money from her. She mm-hmm. went down the back stairs with Tommy and left, just never came back. Well, Stabes goes out back to look around and hears moaning. Oh. He finds Lee May in the fucking trash. She's bloody and barely awake, so he calls for a bus. In the hospital, Huang meets Stabler in the ER. Stabler tells him that Lee May is fucked up. They really beat the shit out of her. Wong says that mm. they taught her a lesson and next time she won't be so lucky. A nurse tells Stabler that he can go in and talk with Lee May. He goes in there. He asks who hurt her and she's fucking pissed and tells him she's not going to fucking talk to him. He asks her who the fuck Tommy is and what he wanted, money or just to scare her and she won't talk. Stabler tells her he knows she's scared, but she has to talk to him. The music gets all swelly and she tells him her sister is dead. The guy who beat her up said that Zhao's throat got cut because when she didn't get pinged back, she threatened to go to the cops. And now Zhao's debt is Li Mei's debt. Stabler keeps asking her who it was that beat her up. Was it Tommy from the laundry? She says it wasn't him. And she's crying and tells him that it was too dark and she couldn't see his face. And then tells Stabler to fucking kick rocks. Stabler knows she's lying because she's scared. Stabler pulls up a chair backwards and he's like, let's rap. He didn't do that, but he did pull up a chair. (laughs) And he says that he's sorry and he wants to know what he can do to get her to trust him. She wants him to protect her nieces, Susie and Hannah. They will get killed if Lee Mae doesn't give the guy who beat her all of her savings by tomorrow. And then over an intense sound of a flute playing, Stabler fucking (laughs) promises nothing will happen to her nieces, which is bullshit. Right. There was a flute. It was like, and he's like, nothing will happen. I'm like, stop doing that. Lee May tells him that she will do anything he wants once she knows the kids are safe. Okay, so now Stabler, Toots, and Lee May are at an ACS foster home. They're getting the kids out into protective custody. Stabler asks Lee May to ask Hannah if anyone has come and visited them. Hannah tells Stabler and her aunt that a man came by when she was playing outside. Oh, God. This guy gave her a picture of Ping dressed in lingerie. He asked Hannah to give it to her aunt. So they know that Ping is fucking being trafficked. Hannah is asking about her mom, Zhao. Stabler tells Lee May to not tell Hannah Zhao's dead until they know for sure. Toots tells Lee May that the cops are going to be watching the girls around the clock and nobody's going to get to the kids and then he drives off. We don't fucking know any of that, by the way. They always say that, whatever. Stabler asks Lee May where she's meeting the snakeheads, but she says she doesn't want to help them anymore. She can't. Stabler's like, we had a fucking deal. But that was before she saw the pick of Ping. And also, she's not a cop. Right. You know, we had a deal. Like, um, yeah. you guys were telling her not to. Now you're like, you're in too deep. Yeah. If they find out she's helping Stabler, they're going to fucking kill Ping. And then Stabler says, I got to show you something. This is this is so fucked up what he does here. Yeah, it is. Stabler takes her to the fucking morgue where they keep the unidentified bodies where Ping will end up if Lee May doesn't help SVU. He keeps unzipping the body bags and showing her the faces of the young women that can't be identified. She's like, oh my God, fucking stop. Don't make me do this shit. And it's so fucked up. Who deals with that? Like, is this an HR situation? Like, what the fuck is... Dude. Like, what are you doing? No, that's an IAB. No, Why are you traumatizing this... This this woman is a victim, first of all. So fucked. Stabler says that the snakeheads will keep killing girls till someone stands up. And it's her responsibility, basically. (laughs) 
dude, you, says, you're one, you can yeah. stop an entire worldwide gang operation. We'll protect you for the rest of your life and your family back home. What the fuck? Dude, he says he can't promise he can find Ping in time, but the only chance they have is Lee Mei telling him where the snakehead meeting is. She tells them that Ping is being held in a restaurant in Chinatown. That's for you, gang. <laughs> That's for you, gangs. This whole fucking scene. <laughs> fucking stakeout. It tur- this this yeah. whole scene is actually animated. So <laughs> the SVU gang stakes out the restaurant and stages to go in. Huang, Benson, Stabler, and Toots are all staged. Benson is on the street looking like she's buying shit. Toots is in a car. <laughs> Toots is in a car and Huang is in the restaurant talking into his wrist cuff. Very obviously, I thought until I saw fucking Benson outside all but yeah. scream into her damn wrist cuff <laughs> with her hand above her head. Like it was with- it's curly cord just dangling yeah. nobody's wearing a scarf nobody's doing anything to hide that Mm-mm. holding their little clenched fist talking down their wrist hey they're coming this way and the guy next to her on, the, on the busy street is like who you talking to me <laughs> you're not talking into a cell phone which would make things a little less weird but no you're ta- oh you're undercover <laughs> i like how their names are ghost one and ghost two as well you guys are the most obvious you're full human form right there's nothing ghost about you they all watch lee all the ghosts watch lee man go <laughs> into the restaurant that huang is waiting in that huang is invisibly waiting in <laughs> Wong has been haunting for 400 years. At least Wong put his wrist up to his cheek. You know, like he was resting his wrist and was like, she's not here yet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, it's so obvious. And the best is like, I'm a cop. <laughs> she's she's wearing one of those wrist things like football quarterbacks do. And she flips it open and talks into it. She's got a damn Buzz Lightyear. I was just going to say, I was like, she's looking, she's looking, Benson to Star Command. Come in, Star Command. <laughs> she's Oh my God, all of a sudden, it is Tommy from the laundromat, the mm-hmm. one that visited her. She sits down and hands him a fucking envelope of money. He gets up and tells her to stay and have tea and relax. He wants the same amount next week. But fucking Jesus Christ, that's her savings. But fucking Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, is that was my, my nickname in high school. What? <laughs> So Tommy leaves and Huang gives the description of him into his fucking cuff and then follows him out of the restaurant and gets in the van with Toots. Benson follows the guy from the restaurant on foot and they're all passing each other and it's like, he goes into a pool hall. Huang gets out and goes in after him. Huang watches as the guy from the restaurant gives the money to another guy in a suit and then Huang gives everybody the signal to come in. Stabler, the gang, and a bunch of cops bust into the pool hall. They approach the guy in the suit and one of his lackeys stands in the way. What is he going to do? You can't do shit against Stabler's ass. Suit dude tells him to stand aside. Stabler asks suit dude his name. He doesn't tell him. Stabler takes the envelope of money and finds dude's wallet. His name is Ricky Yao. Stabler arrests him for extortion. Dude is like so calm and he looks back and tells his pals to call his lawyers and to go to his place and wait for him and quote, I'll be there soon. Stabler says, don't bet on that pal let's go pal back at the precinct 
Benson is interviewing Ricky Yao, the guy in the nice suit. I mean, he's been in a bunch of stuff, Fringe, New Girl, Grey's Anatomy. He's recognizable as well. She tells him that he better start talking before his errand boy next door does. Mm -hmm. He tries to be all smooth and hit on her, and she does not blink the entire time he's talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And tells him, shut up and wait for your lawyer. I bet Junior's already spilling his guts. So he's like, what about a nice bottle of Cristal? I thought I took a video of her saying... Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. In the other room, Stabler is in. It's really hard for me to not say Tommy. I know. I was thinking that too when I was <laughs> typing it. I wanted to write it with like an three A's and a W. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're in this other room. Stabler is interviewing Tommy, the little errand boy. Tommy won't tell Stabler anything, but Stabler says they're going to tell Ricky the opposite. Mm. Tommy told us everything. Mm. Tommy's like, what the fuck? You're setting me up to be killed. Chair throw. After what you did to Lee May, I don't give a crap what Ricky does to you. <laughs> Tommy still refuses. The way that I do Stabler is always going to be the exact same, and you always get a kick out of it, and I love that. Which part? Oh, when he's like, crap! It's the... It's the <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> well, you do... Uh, you do... When you say crap, <laughs> you make Stabler and Craig and say it the same way, and it gets me every time. Uh, I make a meal out of it. Yeah. You do. Yeah. I'm like me saying crap is um, I get my money's worth out of it the way an Australian gets their money's worth out of the word. No. Yeah. All right. We bounce back over Benny and Ricky. Ricky tells Benson he knows Tommy's not going to say anything. So <laughs> not only that, he says they've got nothing on him. So what are we even doing here? Right. And Benny says, um, yeah, we don't have anything on you except for assault, extortion, three open homicides. <laughs> Three open homicides. <laughs> Acting. Acting. Ricky stays cucumber cool and says nothing's ever stuck. Mm. Turns out witnesses disappear or get amnesia. Boom. Back with Tommy. Stabler asks tough guy Tommy where he's from. That's an another good uh, light read. Hey, tough guy. Yeah. Hey, tough guy. You think you're a real hot shot. Huh? Don't you? <laughs> so Stabler's like, where are you from? Where are you from, tough guy? And Tommy tells Stabes that he was born in the U.S. His parents are from Fujian, a small village in China. They came to the U.S. to give Tommy a better life. Tommy is really resentful, though. His dad works his ass off as a delivery person for a restaurant when he was a fucking teacher back home. Tommy claims the criminal shit that he's doing is what's giving him the better life. He makes more in a week than his dad does in a month. Mm. Stabler calls Tommy out for making money off the misfortune of hardworking people like his parents. You ripping off poor folks to make that dirtbag rich? And Tommy says that he can't betray his people. Fucking chair throw. This was justified by yeah. Stabler. Yeah. Ricky Yao is not your people. He preys on your people, Tommy. Don't mm -hmm. you get it? Yep. He tells Tommy to be a man, ew, and stand up for Lee May. Tommy confirms that Zhao is he, dead. He folds so fast. He's like, you're going to have me kill. He's like, I'll tell you everything. Like, I okay. do need to be a man. Be a man. Mulan. So Tommy's like, yeah, Zhao's dead. Tommy got a call from Ricky at his, quote, whorehouse in Flushing and was told to bring a shovel. Mm. Mm -mm. Dun, 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 dun. Swell city DJs. Come and ride the train. Toot, toot. I don't know. <laughs> Over in Flushing, the brothel's been cleaned out. No girls were left at the house Tommy told them about. Forensics tech from the cliffs of Moor to the St. Patrick's Cathedral O'Halloran found something decomposing under some trees in the courtyard. Jeez. <laughs> but it's just... <laughs> But it's just a dead cat. 
Oh, we thought we had something, but there was a dead cat buried. Thanks, guys. The neighbors are watching, like, the people of Munchkinland when Dorothy gets to Oz. Like, they're all just peeking through. What's going on? The representative, a tired and angry woman in a house coat and huge bangs, says, You waking up half the neighborhood because someone gave Miss Kitty a proper burial? Yeah, there's fucking 30 cops here digging up a cat. Like, we don't give a we don't give a shit when a person gets killed. That's why we're here. So Stabler asks her if they saw any guys working around the house that week. She says they saw a moving van last week because all those lovely exchange students went back to China. She also tells Stabler that the garage got repaved as well. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. It's actually more like the sound that the that it's making over the swell. It's like a drum beat. It sounds just like the way they would do stomp. You know, it's like a wire broom mm-hmm. on a bucket. Cut to the garage floor getting fucking jackhammered. It's getting jackhammered like what a high schooler thinks boning is. <laughs> uh, Ryan, oh, sweet mother Mary O'Halloran, flips over a big old chunk of concrete and directly under, what a convenient place, directly under this chunk is a plastic bag because they jackhammered in the exact right spot, just like where a high schooler thinks an <laughs> orgasm comes from. <laughs> Stabler cuts it open again in the exact right spot because it's her face and finds that it's Zhao Wu mm. and she's dead. So now they're in in the morgue lab situation. Lee May identifies Zhao's body to assistant Emmy Cardio, who assures her she can bury her sister as soon as the autopsy is done. As she's walking out with Staves, Lee May tells him she's positive that Ping's been killed too. Mm. But Stabler dad grabs her shoulders and tells her that they won't give up. They're going to find Ping. How? We've got fucking Ricky Yao. Cut to... Ricky Yao is being questioned by Novak. Stabler and Benson are watching behind the glass. Not the glass, but some glass. Okay? Mm, Yeah. Novak asks him if he's ready to make a deal. She tells him they found Zhao's body. Ricky says the property... He's so fucking smug. Ricky says the property is owned by someone else, an older woman. Novak's like, Grandma didn't slit Zhao's throat. And Ricky says, you don't know that. You don't. Ricky's lawyer asks Novak if she's got any concrete evidence linking him to the crime. Novak says, well, they have enough to arrest him. Ricky says, quote, anyone could have killed that woman, especially if it was a whorehouse. So many men coming and going. Novak tells them they'll find a witness, but for the time being, she's going to hold him for the extortion. Yao's lawyer is convinced he will make bail at arraignment. Ricky then says, quote, Oh, by the way, I hear your detectives are concerned about a missing girl. Zhao's daughter? What was her name? Ah, yes, Ping. Have you found her? The music is four hours deep on a Viagra about to call the hospital hard (laughs) as fuck. (laughs) And the camera zooms into Stabler's face, who is just fucking livid. Novak tells him that if they get Ping, she'll recommend his sentence be lowered to murder in the second degree, 12 to 25. Ricky says, quote, you'll have to do better. Young girls get lost so easily. I could be very helpful. Fucking Stabler's so mad. You can see on Novak's face, she does not like him making deals with this guy. Ricky then says, quote, no, too bad about the kid. I hear she's a real nice piece of ass. Whoa. (gasps) Mm -mm. Whoa. Oh my God. Stabler tells Benson that 
Ping must be alive if Ricky is using her as a bargaining chip. Benson just thinks they're getting fucking played. I was going to say, that's not necessarily true. Yeah. But he's like, I got to hang on to something internally. He's just fucking. It's a twister starring Helen Hunt of cups and chairs and just anything. Just poor little brain. Pepsi fucking cans that product placement go up and record tornado (laughs) stuff. The scientists. Also that cow. Yep. Bill Paxton. (laughs) Um. (laughs) What's that? I can help you, but it's not going to bring your father back. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> okay. Stabler thinks Pink saw Ricky murder Zhao, and Ricky is sweating over it. Benson says they can't make Pink testify. The second Ricky gets to central booking and gets a chance to make a call, she'll be fucking killed. Mm-hmm. Novak comes out and tells him to process Ricky. Benson says she'll try and stall his processing, but Stabler says he can't do anything in an hour. They're in New York City. New York City. <laughs> Roll that beautiful bean. <laughs> Toots comes in and lets them know that a bunch of Chinese sex workers were brought in last night. They're fucking Rickies. And they're not sex mm. workers. They're being sex trafficked by Ricky. Yeah. Yes. The girls are all at immigration waiting to be deported. Give them like real asylum, maybe. How about that? Mm. Stabler tells Benson that Kath's cousin works at Central Booking. Of course. Why not? And that mistakes happen. And a quote, they could put Ricky on the wrong bus to Attica. So then he can't get to a phone. And then Stabler says, give us time to talk to those hookers. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. They're literally victims of sex trafficking and you're calling them fucking hookers. Yeah. Like, gross. fuck you. And that's how you end the scene, Stabler? Right. Yeah. Whatever. They got to get to ping before he gets to a fucking dang phone. But at least, you know, at least Stabler's fucking wife's cousin works at Central Booking. At least we are hearing about that in season six. Hey, why don't you call Kathy for the first time this week and ask her if she can hook shit up? with her cousin for you they could have used that a million times to kath's cousin like we just gotta call at least use that once a season no shit we're never gonna hear about it again (laughs) at the immigration detention center one of the trafficking victims tells detectives that about a hundred women get brought through the brothel every year their houses all over new york she says that ping was brought in a week ago with a bunch of new girls but ping wasn't picked up at the raid last night because ricky probably had her at a private party The woman wants a deal with her deportation before she keeps helping SVU. And Stabler tells her that she will get a deal if the information she has is good. Um, Which he just told Lee May earlier that he can't protect her from the feds. So, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe if she's helping with some big investigation, but... Maybe now that Novak knows about shit and it's, like, a whole thing and not just, like, them pretend investigating. Or if she can actually help with, like, an INS... Or fed shit, yeah. But she responds by saying that he better get her a lawyer and put that shit in writing before she Uh moves forward. Smart, 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 smart. Mm -hmm. Stabler asks Benny if she thinks Roger Baker would be able to do anything, you know, pro bono. And the woman fucking snaps. Baker? It turns out he's the one who filed her asylum claim and then sent her to Ricky Yao. Mm, yep, I was right. I called that so what? early. Oh my God, I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. Because I've been off for like five seasons. <laughs> we are, well, we are, uh, this is about 37 minutes into a 42 minute episode or a 39 minute episode. And mm. um, this is where I go, oh, it's not the laundromat guy. <laughs> so. I mean, I think at this point we were just like, oh, it's Ricky Yao. We didn't realize that somebody was giving, like, I thought he was just taking them. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. We're going to a holding cell at the precinct. Here we go. Undercover time. Huang's like, finally, it's my turn. 
Huang walks in with Baker. He's pretending to be an immigrant needing a lawyer for his cousin. Li Mei is in the cell pretending to be the cousin. Baker tells Huang that he can help, but when Huang tells him he doesn't have much money, Baker tells him that he knows a guy she can work for to pay off the cost of the asylum claim. He then gives them Ricky Yao's info and goes to leave. Stabes fucking kicks the door in and arrests this Donny Osmond looking fuck. Right. (laughs) Later, in an interrogation room, Stabler comes in and immediately Baker says, I don't know what that hooker told you, but I didn't kill anyone. Stabler's like, oh, you're just a saint with a law degree, huh? Stabler's pacing the room, pissed, and he's fucking rolling up his sleeves. He's about to do something stupid, I bet. He's mm-hmm. talking about how much money Baker has, his car, his boat, home, etc. Baker says he does this stuff to try to help people. And the reason why he has all this money is because the market's been good. Stabler's like, bullshit, you're getting money from working with Ricky Yao. Baker says he didn't do anything wrong and didn't hurt anyone. Stabler grabs him up and yells, is this what you tell yourself so you can fucking sleep at night? Baker says they're going to be deported and he's helping them to stay in the country. By being trafficked, you give them to Ricky to be sex slaves and then buried when they're done with them. You're a pimp and a murderer. And then Baker's like, no. Anyways, Baker spills, right? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Just how you went through. And Baker's like, No. <laughs> Why doesn't he take this motherfucker to the morgue? Right? (laughs) Baker spills that beautiful bean footage. (laughs) Ricky Yao calls him when the people he smuggles get caught by INS. Baker files phony asylum claims. Ricky fronts the bail. Then they go to work for him. Some work, quote, straight jobs. And then the, quote, pretty ones get trafficked. Jesus Christ. (sighs) Stabler still has this dude up against the wall. And he says, where the fuck is Ping Wu? Baker sent Ping to a brothel, but doesn't say where. Stabler kind of bangs his head on the fucking wall, and I'm like, case dismissed. This is done. Yeah. Police brutality. Like, you can't do that shit, dude. This guy's an attorney and white. Like, in what we're, I'm just saying, you can't get away with that shit with those circumstances. Like, this guy, this guy is going, hey, I have a lot of whites. I mean, I have a lot of rights. <laughs> right. I mean, if, especially if he's like trying to get out, look for any sort of way out of this, he can be like, yeah, this guy mm-hmm. fucking banged my head against the wall and made me confess to some shit I didn't do. He goes before a judge with his head bandaged like a fucking cartoon character. <laughs> and there's like black squiggle lines above his head. There's birds and stars circling. <laughs> she was okay. sent to Moscow Street. 80s chase music plays and Stabler books out of the room. In court, Ricky's lawyer complains about Ricky being sent to Attica. Novak calls it a a clerical error. Wink, wink. I mean, she doesn't know. They're not going to tell her because she doesn't want to know that shit. The judge says, quote, it better have been Miss Novak. The judge apologizes to Ricky. Meanwhile, a raid is taking place in one of the brothels. Cut back to court. The judge says he's releasing Ricky on his own recognizance since the clerical error was so shitty. Ricky says, thank you, your honor. And then fucking looks behind him and nods to a guy who nods back and starts to leave the room. He signaled to this guy like he's a detective talking into his sleeve. I'm, like, oh, my God. How how was the judge? I mean, he was standing up and like looked when somebody's like, hey, don't make it obvious and look back. And you go all you turn all the way back. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like Novak clocks it, but she has to wait till the judge bangs the gavels before she can run. And then Novak runs mm. after the guy. At the brothel, there's a raid. And like we said, Benson is asking around to everyone if they've seen Ping. Cut back to the courthouse. Novak sees the guy in the phone. Back to the brothel. There's a lot of 
crazy camera work going on. One of the trafficking victims tells Benson that Ping is down the hall. Back at the courthouse, Novak tells a security guard to get that dude off the phone, but he hangs up the phone and says, quote, too late. Back to the brothel, Benson and Toots kick down Ping's door and she's being held at gunpoint. Dude tells him to get out or she's dead. She's going to be dead anyways, you fucking asshole. Benson tells him to take it easy, dude. Fucking Stabler kicks open a door randomly, straight up shoots dude in the chest. And I mean, zero hesitation. He had no idea where anyone was in the room. He just kicked and shot. It's fucking yeah. crazy. <laughs> That's okay. You don't even see. You, all you see is tie and fucking gun. It's Boom, crazy. shoot. Yeah. His eyes were closed and he opened him and was like, did I get him? <laughs> <laughs> he shot the gun at the same time that he kicked the door. Yeah. And it was a door on the other side of the room. Like, he he had no idea yeah. what... Okay. Benson tells Ping it's going to be okay. They're going to take her to her family. Obviously, Wong translates. Stabler checks the dude he shot. Benson is taking Ping out of the room and looks at the guy and then at Stabler. Toots looks at him, too, and then at Stabler. I think that dude is dead, and they're like, oh, shit. And then... I go, I bet next episode will be IAB interviewing him about it and he'll get all sassy and be like, look, I had to do what I had to do. You aren't out there every day like I am. And then kicks a chair and IAB is like, dang, he's hot headed, but damn if he isn't a good cop. <laughs> Lee May wants Ping and Benson outside. They're going to take Ping to the hospital. Lee May thanks Stabler. They smile at each other and Lee May leaves. The way that Lee May and Stabler smiled at each other for a long time too comedy gold toots tells stabler that internal affairs is waiting on him he hands his gun to toots as he watches the ambulance leave the scene end of episode but like what the fuck ricky is out is he out what the fuck happens they're gonna be that whole family's dead mm -hmm. and ricky yao just got out mm -hmm. jesus yeah. What happens? They don't tie this up. They're dead. Whatever. Toy fucking Yoda. Well, they're in witness protection, so obviously they can protect them. Well, they didn't say that they were. I think it's implied. Mm. Toyota. I just saw this meme that was funny. Dear Coca-Cola, no more new flavors. Either add the cocaine back or leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> so I started reading about the Snakehead Gang, which is a real Chinese gang. Oh. They're actually one of the most notorious gangs for human trafficking and are globally active. The place that Tommy said his family was from, Fujian. Okay, so in an American accent, we would say Fujian. And in China, they say Fujian. So just the... Okay. So nobody comes for me. I don't know which one I'm supposed to do. Is it like Mexico, Mexico? Is it like that? Should I say Fujian? Or you're like that white person that's like... Nika and you're like, yeah. oh, God, I like feel so stupid. <laughs> so Tommy said his family was from this place in China, Fujian. And that's where this gang is based there and where a lot of people were being smuggled from in the 80s and 90s. So mm. obviously members aren't just out there being known in public, but there's one big name that kept coming up that I wanted to tell you about. Mm -hmm. Cheng Chui Ping, better known as Sister Ping. This woman would eventually be called one of the first and ultimately most successful alien smugglers of all time by the U.S. Department of Justice. Mm. Correct me if I say Sister Peg, by the way, because I kept having to correct myself yeah, when I was typing to put Sister oh. Ping and not Sister Peg. Sister Ping was born in a poor farming village in northern Fujian, China on January 9, 1949. She grew up working on her family's farm, and when she was 15, her dad went to the U.S. to make money to send home to the family. Mm -hmm. He washed dishes, with which here is considered a menial job making a low wage. But in comparison, back then, a dishwasher in the U.S. would make in a year what it would take 10 years to make in Fujian. 
He was eventually deported back to China, but the opportunity to make more money in the U.S. was something his daughter Ping wanted as well. Mm -hmm. She got a work visa and came into the country legally, settling with her husband and kids in Chinatown, which is in Manhattan, New York. Mm -hmm. And that was in the summer of 1981. She opened the Takshun Variety Store, selling clothes, convenience items. Um, she would cook Fujianese food, making her store super popular in the small Fujianese part of Chinatown. Mm -hmm. At the time, Chinatown was mostly made up of Cantonese. Mm -hmm. So two separate cultures, ways of living, etc. Pretty quickly, Sister Ping decided she was going to help get more family to the U.S., but visas for people in her area were really hard to get. She was extremely crafty in her ability to smuggle people. And eventually she wasn't just bringing family from Fujian, but people throughout the entire region. Sister Ping became known in Chinatown as the go-to if you wanted to get someone over here. The word snakehead or the name Snakehead translates to human smuggler in China. So that's what she was. She obviously wasn't the only Snakehead in operation, but she gained a reputation for being less risky than others. She had family and contacts all over the world, so she had multiple routes to use. And not only that, but when people would run into trouble or get caught and sent back, at times she would send money or allow them to try again for free. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody was stranded in Nicaragua or, you know, one of the stops, people have mm -hmm. said that she would wire like a few thousand dollars to get these people all the way here. So I'm hoping that she's just doing this to be kind and she's not doing other human trafficking you know, that is a controversial topic. People aren't... Oh, is it? Uh, it well, is human trafficking a controversial topic? I didn't mean it like that. I know what you mean. I, I meant it like, is somebody all good? Is somebody all bad? I don't like to use that like, well, you know, shrug about this topic because it's not... Like, I like the right, art, but, but I don't like the artist or whatever oh, I'm to say. Oh, my God. Okay, so... Sister Ping was actually a one-stop shop for the whole process, all of it, really. Once people got there and wanted to send money that they made back home, they'd go to Sister Ping. She would charge a fee and send it for you. She was mm -hmm. like like an underground banking system. People mm -hmm. here legally might be throwing up red flags if they're all sending money through Western Union or going to the bank, you know. So she had this system for people to be able to go around that. Yeah. That's actually where she made most of her money was doing this banking thing. Mm. So throughout the 80s, she would charge $18,000 per person delivered to the U.S. As more and more people came, more wealth was being sent back to Fujian. All of a sudden, people were building these huge houses. It's in the middle of fucking rural villages, rice paddies, farming shit. Mm -hmm. And there would be a huge mansion that somebody built. Mm. People in that area seeing this were hugely motivated then yeah. to be like, hey, oh, they have family over in the U.S. We need to get somebody over there or we need to be over there. So more Fujinese started to come to America and the clientele for Sister Ping's business just continued to grow and grow and grow. Then the Tiananmen Square massacre happened on mm. June 4th of 1989. If you're not familiar with it, political protest over weeks resulted in the Chinese government sending troops in. So it's debated how many people were killed, but hundreds or thousands were killed. And there's that famous picture of that guy with the grocery bags that just like, no, I'm standing in front of this tank and they just ran him over. Yeah. And so there were not only a huge amount of people that were killed, but thousands were wounded as well. Mm -hmm. So because of this, more people than ever were trying to get out of China. So Sister Ping's price went up to $35,000 per traveler in the 90s. <sighs> and when I say more people, I mean like 100,000 every year were coming from just that one area in China. Mm. This is when, see, I put Sister Peg in my notes here. <laughs> this is when Sister Ping had to outsource help. So she started working with a prominent Fujianese 
Chinese gang in Chinatown, the Fuqing. So this dude, Ah Kei, was the head of the gang and a super violent person, murderer, extortionist, just a hardcore gangster guy. So she's working with him now. I can't even imagine the meeting. I know. Hi, I'm on my own. I'm doing this thing. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> I'm a freelancer. <laughs> I need help with your, from your, how do you, okay. All right, let's hit the actual travel and logistics of the whole process. So you're in Fujian and you want to work with the snakeheads to get to the U.S. You first go to them and give a down payment of a few thousand dollars. If you made it, there was a grace period of 72 hours. The show version of the Hollywood version is where people get here and they're immediately sex trafficked or enslaved. But this wasn't the operations MO, right? There's this grace period and they'd give you a phone to call every person you know, loan sharks, whoever, to get the remaining balance of your debt. Mm -hmm. And once you did, they let you go and you were then in charge of paying off your debt to all those other people. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you didn't pay the snakeheads during this grace period, you and your family would be visited by gang members, abducted, beaten, tortured, raped, trafficked, whatever, until the mm. debt was paid by the rest of your panicking family. Right. You know, there's this Hollywood version of it. And from what I read, it's different in that they're trafficking 100,000 people a year over here. They don't want to fucking deal with you after you're here. They mm. want you to pay them their money and go on your way. Yeah. We did our job. We were paid for our job. Goodbye. They they don't want to set up these other side gigs. I'm sure there were people who did, you know, mm -hmm. there's definitely instances of people being led to believe they were coming for freedom and then were enslaved and stuff like that. That's of yeah. course, obviously that's a thing. But this was not that route off the bat. Also, the, the traveling, the journey was usually pretty brutal. And one in particular was the beginning of the end for Sister Ping. They mentioned this in the episode, too. It's 2 a.m. on June 6th, 1993. Two beat cops are on patrol and they see a huge cargo ship run aground right offshore in Rockaway, New York. They're mm -hmm. in Queens. They're just like, what the fuck? That boat seems kind of close. Then they started hearing people screaming and they were like, what the fuck? People were pouring out of the ship, jumping into the water. The boat was like 150 yards from the beach and the water was super rough. Oof. It wasn't like, oh, people were jumping off and coming up on shore. Like they were drowning and struggling. Oh, my God. These people are trying to swim to shore. So the cops call for backup and just go in the water and start pulling people out and start trying to get people off the boat. At this point, they don't know. They're like, what are all these people doing here? What is this boat? What is this? Whatever. And I mean, it's pitch black. It's two in the morning. Yeah. The ship's lower hold had carried 286 undocumented Chinese immigrants 17,000 miles over 120 days. They took this super long route. They could have taken a shorter way, but I don't know. Who knows the, yeah. the point of it? But it was 120 days. There was one bathroom. Each passenger had just enough room for their body, like two mm. feet by six for three months. Oh my God. That night, 10 people drowned trying to get to shore. And these folks, these people on the boat were hoping to claim asylum once they hit the shoreline because that is kind of the way it used to be. Yeah. Uh, but instead, INS held them, including 14 children, in prisons across the country. Like I said, this was a new idea. And it's what they do now, cage those attempting to come to the U.S. Yeah. But this was new at the time. Bill Clinton had been in office for like six months and was trying to seem fucking hard and crack down on immigration. So this was the result of that. This was his big moment to be like, we're not going to tolerate people coming into the country illegally. I'm sure there was like people that were mad that he lifted the embargo. Or maybe this was the move 
before the embargo because this was only six months into his first term. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the people, the passengers on the ship, 10% of these passengers were eventually granted asylum. The kids were deported like right away or released right away. Yeah. And the rest were either deported or imprisoned to fight their cases. 52 of them spent four years in prison until they were released. This incident, this shipment of people became known as the Golden Venture. The gang leader that Sister Ping did business with, Ah K, was arrested in Hong Kong as one of the masterminds of this hall. Dude turned on Sister Ping immediately. Like he was barely, they were like, hi, you're under a Sister Ping. The snakehead guy? Yeah. Oh, okay. Jeez. He uh, immediately ratted her out. Isn't that how you get fucking murdered? I mean, he he was this fucking scary gang leader. And he's like, fuck her, you know? And he mm. knew the government wanted her so fucking bad for years. She was running this crazy enterprise. She'd kept herself untouchable and had made close to $40 million doing this gig. Okay. And so- I, I completely have in my head, I'm like, she is doing the Lord's work, getting people over there. And she made a bunch of mm. money and she helps. And I'm pretending that she wasn't involved in or even knew about any sex trafficking stuff. And that if she had known about it, she would have stopped it. Mm. That's what I'm telling myself. So I'm like, Sister Ping is a badass. But well, that's, this isn't a- I'm going to, I'll wrap it up with that. But it was really hard to read any of the negative shit because I also was like, and if it was a man, I'd be quicker to be like, yeah, but he's probably trash, you know? Yeah. I don't yeah. fucking know. So she made close to $40 million doing this. Really, like I said, she made most of her money doing the underground banking, which the government really hates. Yeah. In reality, the Golden Venture only had two people on it being smuggled by Sister Ping. Oh. Ake was just throwing her under the bus. This mm. guy this guy was, whatever you need, I'll give it to you, even if it was bullshit. She fled the country and evaded arrest for years. She went back to her home village and she was protected there because they credited her for the economic boost. Everyone was living well and had that fortune because Sister Ping had smuggled their family members who then sent them money. Yeah. Sister Ping continued her smuggling business from China while she was over there as well. In the episode, they said that they didn't transport by ships after the Golden Venture, but yeah, they did. In 1998, another ship she had charted capsized near Guatemala and 14 people died. So she's not just sitting over in Fujian. She used a fake passport. So she was still traveling, bopping around the world. She even came back to the U.S. pretty regularly. Like, fuck you guys. Mm -hmm. She was finally caught in Hong Kong in the year 2000, extradited back to the U.S. in 2003 and held until her trial in 2005. Mm. Ah Ake, prosecution star witness, gang leader, murderer, human trafficker, was released after (gasps) Sister Ping was found guilty. What? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been his um, deal that they made. It was. They were like, hey, we're going to hold you till we get this bitch. And then they do. And they're like, "Okay, bye. Thanks. Thanks, gang guy who's murdering and extorting and just. But who cares about that? She had an illegal banking system, you know. So what happened to him? I don't know. I didn't read any more about him. On March 17th, 2006, she was sentenced to 35 years in prison on counts of human trafficking, hostage taking, money laundering, and trafficking and ransom proceeds. She served most of her time at Danbury Federal Prison, but she was moved in 2013 to the Federal Medical Center Carswell in Texas. She had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She died on April 24th, 2014, surrounded by family. This is where we take note of the major juxtaposition and how she was viewed. Like she may have committed a lot of criminal acts, but she was 
revered for them by her people. The prosecution in her case called her, quote, the mother of all snakeheads, and the press reported her as, quote, evil incarnate. I mean, she was, <laughs> I mean, she was having gang members hold these people, sometimes at gunpoint in the days following their arrival until she got her money. Mm. But when she died, Chinatown's press released articles calling her an immigration hero and describing her as a person who was taking people from an existence of poverty and oppression and giving them the opportunity to have a better life. Mm-hmm. Patrick Radden Keefe, author of The Snakehead, an epic tale of the Chinatown town underworld in the american dream about sister ping said this quote she was never quite as bad as the justice department made her out to be and never quite as good as people in chinatown made her out to be mm, interesting never heard of that i know i don't know how yeah it's banana bananas shit what could a banana cost michael 40 million dollars <laughs> next week we got season six, episode three. This like gross, mouthy fucking radio host eggs people on and on. And one teenager is raped and another is imprisoned. And their parents are pieces of shit. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but it's probably good. Like shock jock shit. Yeah. Like Howard Stern. Yeah. Back when he was controversial. All right. Rate and review us. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Send us things from our Amazon wish list at P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. Get pod merch and more. If you go to svupod.com and go to our merch store, we have a link to our Tee Public, which is packed with stuff we just put up a whole bunch of new stuff oh there's a ton there's so much new stuff and we're just gonna keep it's a whole different world now a whole new world a brand new place i never knew but when you're up here join the facebook group svu pod elite squad we've got a chat group called walk and talk there's listeners who started a book club called the single tomato (laughs) it's very adorable and i love it hashtag little bit loud for indie pods if you are an indie pod please use that hashtag and then when people search it they can find you and join our patreon also call or text us and leave us your questions stories and comments at 1-920-345-7005 again 1-920-345-7005. And it's getting that time of year, so send us your fucking ghost stories. That's it. Thank you. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. Oh, she's going to say something about it like I didn't know, but I fucking know. But if I didn't know and she didn't say anything, I'd be fucking pissed. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Why wouldn't you tell me that? I... Why do I sound like a granny in this in that one? Because that's your I voice. I out all the candy for the kids <laughs> to find my house and they didnn't find it. And I was trying to <laughs> eat them. <laughs> that's your sick voice. No. This is what you sound like right now. <laughs> you ever been to New York? It's a crazy city. No shit. You know what? I got there and I thought, this city never sleeps. (laughs) I'm going to take a bite of the Big Apple while I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) I want to get authentic in New York. Let's hit up Times Square. (laughs) I want some real New York pizza. Let's go to a Sbarro. (laughs) New Yorkers folded in half. Don't forget. Chicago's deep dish, you know? <laughs> I fold that in half. <laughs> it's funny because it's like wadding up a ball of lasagna, you guys, if you've never had fucking deep dish pizza. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Go Jets. <laughs> like, you want to go on a date? I heard the fucking riveting conversation <laughs> you were having about your visit to the Big Apple. 
You want to be my big apple? <laughs> I guess it just feels like an Olive Garden breadstick was made to house cradle a wiener. <laughs> it's the my hands of breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> my hands of breadsticks. <laughs> um. <laughs> To our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elki H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T., Kayla W., Mallory G., Benita R., Marin, Vanessa, Melanie G., Courtney W., Ursula S., Kate H., Uyanga, Kayla J., Catherine M., Kate P., Jessica S., Nicole M., Acacia V., Katarina G. Danielle W. Kelsey D. Jana M. Joshua H. Tammy J. Bear, 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 bear. Crystal, Lucy M. Trisha S. Sam D. Mac Tech. Who my voice is still <laughs> shitty. Casey W. Abby W. Alexis J. Lauren T. Kaylin B. Camille Z. Nisha G. Maggie D. K. Allen. Katie M. Eliza W. Crystal B. Jessica P, Zan and J, Nada M, Sin, Christina D, Madison H, Emily. Oh, I'm just going to sneak right by you. <laughs> Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B, Amberly C, Sapphire. Monica K, uh, Katie S, Trish S. Did you just go, ugh? Yeah, okay, I'm like, yeah. ugh, we're back, and now I have to hear that. I don't know why I let it. I think it's just because it brings me joy, and you hate that. I hate that, yeah. <laughs> it is nails on a chalkboard to me. Mm. It's the sand between my toes. It is the you version of John going <laughs> on his food. <laughs> okay, where am I? Uh, Monica K, Katie S, Trisha S, Angela D, Brenna T. Andrea M, Natasha S. Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Nikki R, Sarah J, Aunt Sarah, Caitlin S, Emily D, Katie H, Lexi Y, Nikki R, and Vanessa B. Thanks, guys. We We're gonna you. go down to the love shack, Vanessa B. <laughs> <laughs> I can... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Mm. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. 